0: So we're, we're going through Colossians, except I started Colossians last week and didn't almost look at it. But we're using it as a roadmap. Paul's in prison. I just think Paul is amazing, the way he uh, he encourages generation after generation from a prison cell, from a place that would crush most other people. And I always rem- I, I always start speaking about Paul and his suffering because I mean I ha- I don't know if we've settled it yet that life is a struggle. And that life doesn't go our way very often. And life is not always beautiful circumstances. In fact, most of the time there's something, there's a kind of but somewhere, right? If only but. And uh, I mean, this morning, if you want to go to sleep, I'll just tell you what I'm talking about Then you can nod off. Um, all I'm talking about is this. If God is so great and we are so small and He is for us, not against us, what's the problem? If God is so great... And we are so small and we spend all our time fixating about what we're not and worrying about our weaknesses and worrying about all the things that overwhelm us. And God is so great and He says, I've got you, what's the problem? You actually say that to your children all the time. To infants and to young children, that's always the thing that you're trying to create an environment in in a relatively healthy home. You're trying to create an environment where they are safe, where they can play, where they can know that you will take care of things. Children don't usually, unless they highly dysfunctional and very, very badly uh, tended to, do not come in and say, is there any food today? I'm scared of this, I'm scared of that. They might come in, but a good parent will say, I've got you covered. Don't worry about that. And God said the only people who actually live in the kingdom are those who are children, are like children, have a childlike mentality. Not childish, childlike mentality. See, the difference between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of this world is the kingdom of this world causes us to, to, to draw our value, draw our, our whole sense of well-being, our whole sense of safety from what we can accomplish. And so it, 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 our, our, who we are is reflected in our education or where we are born or our gender. There's so many things that the, in the world we live in, in the systems we have, determine how we feel about ourselves. And so many people are victims right now of the internet, of, you know, airbrushed photographs of models, of all that s- stuff. I mean, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm actually an expert on models. I spent two years with my daughter watching Americans Top Model because I love my daughter, not because I was interested in the thing. And it is quite an education to see these girls beforehand and the girls after they've been airbrushed and done up. And And it's just... You know, we, we believe and we aspire to things that aren't even true. And so what we're wanting to do today is encourage one another to know that God is for us, not against us. And that actually changes life. So Paul is speaking about that in Colossians 2. I mean, in Colossians 1, when he uh, starts up, he says, The sun is the image of the invisible God. We could spend all morning just on that. The sun is the image of the invisible God. That got Jesus crucified. That got the first century Christians thrown to the lions. This passage that we read now is the most controversial. You will be put in prison in Canada if you live it. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through Him and for Him. He is before all things and in Him all things hold together. He is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead so in it, that in everything He might have supremacy. For God was pleased to have all His fullness dwell in Him and through Him to reconcile to Himself all things whether things on earth or things in heaven by making peace through His blood shed on the cross. That is extremely narrow-minded. That is extremely opinionated that is extremely exclusive and highly offensive, isn't it? Paul wrote this to the Colossians. Who were the Colossians? The Colossians were living in a culture of many gods, of doesn't matter what flavor, you know, we respect you, and whatever you do, that's cool, which actually is a good thing. You should have a culture where people can do whatever they feel drawn to. I don't have a problem with that. In fact, I have a problem with Christians overtaking cultures and then decreeing that everybody has to do something. I don't think God does that. Christians have a problem with other people's freedoms and they've got themselves into a lot of trouble. However, as a Christian, I have the freedom and the right to say this is what I believe God says. Because what I've just read is against the Constitution almost. It's not quite. You see, pluralism says there are many gods and everyone has the right absolutely to worship whoever they desire to worship. But when Paul writes to to, uh, the Colossians, he says all these other claims about God because they said... If you do this and you do that, then God will accept you because God was right up there and in between were all these gods and to get to God, you had to appease the gods. It's all very complicated. Religion today is like that. If you go to church and you give your tithe and you don't offend me and I don't offend you, we'll get on just well. Cultural Christianity in the West has obviously died. That's why the churches are fish and chip shops because we prefer fish and chips to what you were dishing out. Or in Port Arbonne, Over my dead body, I'll enter that church, and now it's Yates Memorial. I mean, the stakes are high in this culture. We've already lost the battle. We have to reclaim it. And we've lost it for good reason. We were offering nothing. And the the alternative is not to become this dogmatic, dictatorial, Bible-thumping Christian, because those are pain in the butt as well. What God calls us to do is just to be people who love with extraordinary compassion, extraordinary power, and actually draw alongside people, and let them taste and see that God is good by the way that we behave. And Paul is in prison. His chains are there. And he's just saying, you know, you're, you're getting confused. There's all these gods around you. And you say, what do we believe? And he says, well, what do you believe is that when God revealed himself in Jesus, that was the end of the story. There is no greater revelation than in Jesus Christ. Human being on earth filled with the presence of God. Well, that's very, very ju- judgmental. That's very, very narrow. And you go, why is it narrow? If you have this great revelation of God then it puts all the other revelations or claims to revelation of God in, the, in secondary, third, fourth, fifth places. What happens is human beings, the things that human beings can't get away from is they absolutely are stuck with the DNA of God in them, whether they believe in him or not. People are stuck with themselves. I was reading this book on relationships by a psychiatrist. And he goes back and he says, well, your forefathers said this and your forefathers did this and this is how your forefathers did things and your ancestors did this. And then we evolved out of with, with Darwinian theory. We, we evolved out. And he, he's, a, he's a very well-known psychiatrist with very popular books. And someone like me has to call him up and say, your intellectual base for this argument is pathetic. The reason being, he never explains how animals stand upright and then become reflective, conscience-bearing humans. He just kind of twists that in a, in, a, in a phrase and then carries on as if that's the truth. Somewhere, God breathes his life and what is not becomes human, made in his image. And the thing that human beings struggle with so much, and I don't see this in my cat. I've had two cats for 10 years and, and I've never seen this. they They're not... Scratching themselves, reflecting on why they 're there they 're very grateful they where they are, because they have a very nice life with me and Cheryl. All they do is purr and eat, and the one eats so much it vomits just uh, and we clean it up, so who serves who i mean it 's it's, it's pitiful, but it 's true, and so it has no conscience it doesn 't go john i 'm sorry, I messed on the floor again. It just carries on, and when it goes to the, the, the you know the the Sandbox, It's got this fetish. It, just, it doesn't stop cleaning, you know. So you have to go and stop it now. It's done. Enough. But that's about it. We are stuck with this cry in us for purpose and meaning. Everyone is. People go into drugs because they can't find purpose or they feel pain. And Paul says, in Jesus, God revealed himself in all his fullness. And you go, why, why are we so ashamed to declare that and say it's not fair? Because if you're Muslim... And you're trying to earn to God into getting to the 20 virgins or the 100 virgins, which don't exist, but never mind. That will be a big downer. I shouldn't have said that, should I? It's all nonsense. <laughs> anyway, I got your attention, so whatever. Forgive me. I want to go down a track there, but <laughs> I'm just censoring myself here. But there's, there's that. there's that... If you, if you hear, if, if you're Buddhist and you're, you're trying to look for God but you've got to deny all your feelings and, and, and the, the body is, is bad or is negative energy and stuff, every religion other than Christianity is trying to get to God. Through behavior, through ritual, through religion, through efforts from us to Him. Christianity is absolutely radical where God comes to us and says, I've taken care of everything. What? Yeah, you don't have to really sacrifice. My son sacrificed, so I've actually taken care of everything. That's good news. That's very good news in a culture that says, no, you've got to do this and do that and do that and give that and give this amount of money. He says, "Uh, I've given everything, now you just give everything. He doesn't say that, but he does say that. He, He says, follow me and I'm going to actually teach you how to not love this world so much. But everything God does, he initiates what I mean by that is he doesn't say, if you can conjure up enough love, then I'll accept you and I will love you. He actually says, I absolutely adore you. And most of us, you see, when we do worship and when we, we're saying, how do we enter into the love of God so that actually we can go, wow. I've told you this many times. I go, went, go to, went to the Grand Canyon. This isn't on the script either. I went to the Grand Canyon and I, I, had, I it was 1980. This was the time I, I got a, a Greyhound bus and went all the way across Canada and past Terry Fox. I didn't know it was significant, but I did. I remember seeing him. And I was in England, and I had come over here for three months. And I came over to Vancouver, and then I went down to San Francisco and across to the Grand Canyon. And I was a poor student, so I slept in the bus on the nights, you know. And, and so we get to the Grand Canyon, and there's the, a and, and parking lot, and it was totally not grand. I remember you know, with my rucksack I, or backpack as we call it, um, I walked across the parking lot to the South room and it was just amazing. It was, this, this, it was sunset or just before and the colors, the purples, and I went, wow, it's amazing. I, and it was so cheap, I got a room for nothing and it, it was just amazing. I spent 24 hours there. And I got up the next day and walked along the South room and it was different colors because the sun was coming up. It was amazing. And there were signs there saying, don't throw rocks. Uh, there wasn't one sign saying, uh, please do not gasp. With admiration. Please do not voice your admiration for this view. It was none of that. But people were taking pictures and they were just amazed. Why? Because it was amazing. It was amazing. You see, that's how God works. God says, if you actually begin to see me and see who I am and see who I am for you, you'll just go, wow. If you could see how much God the Father loves you right now, you'd burst into tears. Because you would be in the presence of a love that you just dreamt of but you never experienced. And Jesus might say, why on earth or in heaven's name, depending on the morning, I guess, why on earth or in heaven's name do you think I went to the cross and poured out my... I did all I did. Why do you think I did all that so that you would sit there going, thanks very much, but my life sucks. I didn't do it for religion. I did it for relationship. And the trouble is that so many people think relationship with me, I'm going to spoil their fun. And most of the people who are scared of having their fun spoiled are struggling with life. And he doesn't. He says, you know, have as much fun as you like, but come to me and see how much fun you have, really. And suddenly you begin to find he's filling you up on the inside with things that you never imagined. He said the fullness of God lives in Jesus. And when you keep company with Jesus, the fullness of God begins to come into you. And he begins to change you from the inside out. Because God in Jesus comes here on earth as in heaven. It's what his kingdom means. You see, we've grown up to think you come to church and you you sort of sing some songs. You don't really pay attention. You might like the tune or you might not. Then you have to endure the sermon. And then people say hello and you don't feel like talking to them. And then you go home again. And a little bit of you is appeased because you went to church. And God goes, you know, don't bother. I'm not enjoying it and you're not enjoying it. But if I'm coming and I'm saying, God, I want to hear you this morning. And I want to be with my brothers and sisters because I, on my own, I tend to, this is what Sheila reminded us, on my own, I tend to drift downward into the negative and downward into the circumstances overwhelming. I tend to drift down into my great opinions which actually have very little authority. They just have a lot of experience of me rooted in negativity without God. I give myself a huge amount of authority for the insights I have that are not tested about who God is because of my experience rather than saying maybe my experience needs to actually come under the scrutiny of who God is. And I might find some of those things untrue. And so we need one another. We need one another to help us find truth. Lots of people say, I, if God loved me, why does he let all this happen? Oh, my word. Every good parent gives their children freedom. If God loved the world, why do we have greenhouse gases? Why do we have wars? Why do we have earthquakes? Why do we have starvation? Pull back the, pull back the veils on all of those things and you go, human origins. There's enough money in this world for everybody. But you read the BBC statistics in the last two weeks, 1% of the world's population has all the resources, all the financial resources for the rest of the world. Is that not greed? Greenhouse gases are all about us trying to do things. You know what the story, I don't have to preach that. Abortions are all human greed. Every, wars are all human greed. Everything, everything comes back to humanity living free and wild. And God came in Jesus to say, there is a bigger picture that is greater than you. And there is this resource beyond you to help you deal with you because you have got out of control. It's called brokenness and fallenness and rebellion. Wind us back. And, and what Paul says, you see, that is so, so dogmatic, he says he uses all many times. If you want to know God, therefore, get to know Jesus. If you want to know who God is, and you want to build your relationship with God, read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, where Jesus walks on the earth and he talks to people and he does things. And he teaches. Get to know who Jesus is. Get to know the character of God. Look at every person Jesus meets and look at how he responds to them and hear him saying, well, if I can respond to them, I can respond to you. I actually love people. The only people I don't like in the New Testament are the religious people because they keep spoiling the view. They get in the way. But I love people and I love you. And you, you know that guy that you read about? Well, I love you just like I love him. And you start hungering for, I want that. And he goes, I'm glad you was because I want you to have it. He's a doting father. We did that exercise with plates. Write down something that you long for. I know somebody, I don't know who you are, wrote, I'm very happy with all I have. I'd like to meet you because it's insulting to God. You might have everything you have, but God has a lot more for you. That's why Jesus said, to, Jesus said to people, what do you want me to do for you? What do you want me to do for you? What do you want? What cries out in you? We have to learn the way that the kingdom works actually is ask, seek and knock. I don't want to harp on this person who wrote all I have. I don't need anything. I would just like to speak to your family because I'm sure they would have a few ideas. I want more peace. I want more life. I, I'm saying, Lord, I want to see your healing more powerfully. I want to know your presence more. There's lots I want. And he says, you can ask me for the world. Why not? If you hunger and thirst, you start getting. And if we, you know, we have to we chew on this and chew on this and chew on this, which is if God is so great and he has revealed himself in Jesus and says, come to me, what is our problem? Why wouldn't we want more? He's the nicest person, as Graham Cook says, you'll ever meet. I mean, for Jesus, this was a big deal. And if you want to sort of get into that, about he's the creator of all, he created all things, You just look at, at, at Jesus when he's about to, when he stands before Pilate. And he's about to be crucified, and he stares him down. Peter's just actually had a stare from Jesus, and he ran away. He was scared. And Jesus takes on Pilate, and Pilate says, "I have the power to do this to you." And he and Jesus says, "You have actually no power that's not given to you." And in his self-awareness, he says, "I could right now call twelve legions of angels to come to my disposal, and I want to say beat the shit out of you, but I shouldn't say that. I've got to get some of you thinking." So. But, you know, somebody... Never mind. But I would want to say that to Pilate. In fact, I'd say, Dad, I want to make a move right now. But he has to say, I, I'm here to lay down my life so that these people can have hope. I could prove a point now, but it would be stuck in this moment. So I actually have to surrender my vengeance or my ego, and I have to say, but let your will be done for the sake of the greater good. And so he doesn't say that to Pilate. For a long time he remains silent. And he just submits to the betrayal that happens all around him. The fullness of God before Pilate, before the Jewish people, was rejected. And God rose from the dead, came straight back into the arena and said, There's good news. You can't kill me and I haven't rejected you. And that's what struck Saul who became Paul. The fullness of God. And so Paul, once he had realized that, said there's nothing worth living for. And his life was spent discovering what this fullness meant so that even when he was in chains, I say this every week, even when he was in chains, he was most alive. He said, you can't kill me. I have the fullness of God in me. Jesus is my friend and it must suck to be you. And he said, but I have the power to cut your head off. Then I get to heaven. Cut it off. Be my guest. Sharpen the sword. Can you imagine living like that? You see, suicide bombers are the dark side of the angelic martyrs. The suicide bombers die to cause damage. The angelic martyrs of Christianity die that others would live. The blood of the martyrs is is what feeds the seeds. That's what made Saul become Paul, the martyrdom of Stephen. And so there's a point where I think God just says to us, will you let me be Lord? Not that I need your permission. I'm talking about in your life because if you do, everything will change. Seeing we're on a little edgy note this morning, I thought I'd show you a video as to why is it so difficult for us to um, enter into this and go, God, I trust you completely. Isn't that cool? I mean, how to hit us over the head and make us laugh when it's true. But, 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 and you know, that's the—you can never know the authentic about God until you actually step through the butt, because the battle is with the butt. What a cheek! The battle is with it. And so one of the ways of getting to know God and what God's saying to you is stop being so spiritual and just listen to the but. Get to the bottom of things. Stop being so spiritual, listen to the but. Sheila Marshall said, uh, get into a small group. Don't have time. Yes, you do. You have time for what's important. And there's nothing more important than making... So- you know, I remember years ago, I sort of gave up on Christianity and... and And I said, I don't want to come back unless I'm passionate about Jesus. And that's what the level was. I said, God, I do not want, it's too difficult. And you know, God loves that kind of prayer. It took a while and I can't remember the detail, but he brought me back to a place of passion and conviction. And the only way you get to passion and conviction is questioning and is wrestling and is pursuing to a degree. Because I knew at the end of the day, I went to the grass, you know, the grass is green on the other side, but it's not, it's plastic and all that stuff. You have to work it out for yourself. Whatever it is that's causing you to not feel passion, you've got to look at. And instead of spiritualizing it, which I hate, and there are a lot of lukewarm Christians who spiritualize everything, but their passion is nothing. And you go, it's so boring. So Paul goes, if God is so great and he's so good and he's so powerful, why wouldn't I want to know that? And you can see it in the Bible many, many places. I'm just going to skim them and then we're done. When the slaves came out of Egypt into the promised land and they were told you can have everything you want, what God was saying to them now is you're no longer slaves. You're not being told what to do. I'm inviting you into, your pa- into partnership. Now walk with me into this land. This is the land I have for you. Go and get it. I don't know where to go. We need to pray about it. There's big giants in there. <laughs> And God goes. This is what we set free. Yeah. The issue is they've got slave mentalities with huge prospects, and they're huge burial lines along the Jordan River of the Christians who've died there. Huge, huge prospects never cashed in. Huge inheritance never cashed in. Why? Because the butts won, but they're giants. To which God says, "You have no idea how big you look to them. I am with you. So, God, you have a perfect plan for my life, so I can take the promised land." He says, "I don't. It's boring. I don't do that." What do you mean? He says, here's the land, step out. Every step you take, I will back you up. Many of us are stuck because you just need to take a step. But what if it's the wrong one? It's a better than a none. It's better than nothing. You take a step, start pursuing God. Where is it that's getting, what's the butt that's getting in the way for you this morning? For, for the next adventure. It'll be interesting. Listen to these disciples. Because we get attacked at, this, at our weakest point. So your weakest point, whatever the but is, is a clue to you as to where you're wanting to, God's wanting you to grow and where you are getting stuck. It'll tend to be but or blame. doesn't matter. Don't worry about that. Just be honest. I'm struggling with this. Fine. Let's do it. So then Jesus engages with people. With the rich young ruler, he said, your problem is money. You love money more than you love anything else. To the next person, he said, you could do with some more money. But this guy, money had got into a problem. He says, you need to deal with money to uh, the Simon the Pharisee who said come to, you know, come to my house to, because I want to look good in front of everybody that's when, when Mary went and washed, you know, uh, washed Jesus with her tears and, and said Jesus you're so cool and so amazing and Simon was so offended how could you do that and she probably got up and said I could do that because I was this and now I'm that and he did it for me so I'm cool and you better get your act together and Jesus, Jesus agreed bless you you too can be blessed Simon was told hospitality is your problem You want to look good, but you actually want me to be a guest, but you don't want me to get too close. Mary and Martha, they had a number of issues that they had to work through. They had to work through uh, the fact that they were so busy and Jesus had to say to them, you're too busy, you're just, you know, stop worrying about being so busy, come and sit at my feet. Everybody will have something that Jesus is always working on. It's just the way it is. And so there's an element of, uh, of Simon Peter was self-reliance. I can follow you. I can do it. I can do it. And Jesus says, no, you can't. The bird's going to crow and you're going to be in trouble. No, I can do it. He was right. That was when God began to be able to use Simon Peter. Self-reliance. There's John and James had issues with thunder. They were the guys who walked past the, the Samaritan village and said, when they didn't offer hospitality to Jesus, they said, shall we bring down the fires from heaven and burn them? And Jesus said, oh, my word. It's like giving a kid a gun. You are so stupid, but I love you. So no, you can't do that. Follow me and I'll, I'll teach you how to handle my power. It's all through the New Testament. People struggling with buts, struggling with perceptions, struggling with how to follow Jesus. Jesus coming back for them, helping them, forgiving them, redeeming them, rescuing them. That's how it works. Is this encouraging for you? Paul had a thorn in the flesh that never went away. So what did he have to learn? He had to learn, I might be living like this for the rest of my life. But he said, I've learned grace, so I live with it, with joy. The great big God of the whole universe didn't heal Paul of everything. There's mystery as well. So we finish with this. Because one of the reasons you'll find that every time I talk, I've almost made a covenant with God. Uh, I, I really don't want to talk to your head. I want to talk to your heart. And I don't want God to talk to just our heads, our hearts. And so I, I ask God, at the end of the day when we finished waffling here, is there something that can apply in my heart? And that's why I'm always saying, please stand, let's ask God to minister. And I watch here. I do tend to watch and I can't help it. And every time sometimes we do that, some people just disengage. And I'm so, you know what I'm like. I want to name you and have you come up here and say, I want you to engage right now. But I, that would be wrong. That would be controlling and rude. But I want to say, but I know you and you've been disengaging for the last six years. And if you'd only engage, maybe something would change. Jesus said that over Jerusalem. He said, how long that you would come, but that you wouldn't. And so the way to begin to allow God's greatness to enter into us is to start with wherever we are. Which means, what is the next thing that I'm feeling, if Jesus were here, I'd be asking him for? And start there. If you never said something, you'll never get it. And it doesn't have to be spiritual. It could be anything. Just start testing God with His greatness and His love for you and see what happens. That's what those plates were about. Let's bring, I don't know how to say this, our butts to Jesus. He's huge. He's great. He loves you more than anybody else. He's much more powerful. We're still learning what that power looks like. But any circumstance that causes us to get worried or overwhelmed becomes too big. Because we have to learn how to give all those circumstances and say, I'm trusting God for this. And it's not a spiritualizing, there's a resting in him that says, well, I'm taking a day at a time. Maybe this will be healed today. Maybe it'll be healed next week. Maybe it won't be healed, but I'm still going to know his love. Maybe the circumstance, God, please take it from me. And he says, I will take it from you. I'll take it from you in one level right now. I'll take it from you by just taking the pressure off. Just embrace this moment. When I was in my darkest time of depression, I remember one of the things that really helped was just beginning to say, "I'm going to embrace this." It wasn't about—it was awful, but it was giving myself permission to walk through it until it was over. And sometimes we just need to embrace where we are, and and say, "Lord, I'm going to thank you that you're with me in it." So for me, it was a two-year journey through fear, through unknown, through confusion, through doubt, through everything under the sun. I mean, I'm really confident in God's grace because I've been so full of disgrace. I am so disqualified and I am so qualified. And so that means it's true for you too. So let's stand and let's bring him. I'm just going to lead us through two or three or four things, um, you know, because God wants to do business with us in the most delightful way. What's your but? And if you usually disengage, please try not to disengage. Just try to test God right now because he's given us authority. He's given me authority. The fullness of God lives in me as he lives in you. And he wants expression. So, Jesus, I just welcome you here. I welcome your presence here right now. I thank you that there's no condemnation in you. There's nothing in your heart and there's nothing in you and in your demeanor that wants to make us feel less than we are. You want to actually call us up into greater things. Because you are the fullness of God. And the fullness of God walked this earth and went across and rose again and poured out His Spirit so that human beings who were created in His image might actually live in His image and express what it is like to walk with Him and talk with Him and know His presence. And so, Father, I ask You to release among us today Your presence in areas that maybe we've lost Your presence in. You know, the disciples had to face their fear There were storms in the boat. They were were, uh, being sent out and told to take nothing with them. They were very insecure. They had to make sense of the suffering of Jesus, his crucifixion. They had to make sense of a lot of things. And a lot of them didn't make sense. And so we bring to you, Lord, fear. Wherever fear has got a hold of us, break fear in the name of Jesus. And just whatever you maybe have fear about, just bring it to Jesus and then let's see Him as this giant who just takes your fear in His hand as He takes you in His hand and says, Trust me. Lean not on your own understanding. So, Father, I speak peace over fear in the name of Jesus. And just breathe it in. I'm not doing psychobabble. I'm not trying to manipulate you at all. just saying, engage, receive peace in the name of Jesus. And whatever that thing is that causes fear, just... Let Jesus shrink it. He says, I've got it. You don't need to worry. And take a deep breath and say, Whoa, I'm glad I don't have to do that anymore. I don't have to carry that. You don't have to stand on your head and have a fast and say 15 Hail Marys or anything like that. You just go, thank you Jesus that you've got it. The disciples struggled uh, with Jesus in terms of unbelief. There were time, many times where they couldn't work out what he was doing. When Lazarus died and they had to go to the tomb, there were many times where they said, I don't get this. And so, Father, we bring you our unbelief. We just don't be- it seems too good to be true. Somebody said, if it doesn't seem to be too good to be true, it's not God. Father, I ask you to release faith over unbelief. Maybe there's some places in your life, or there's some future, or there's something where you've, you just don't believe anything will change. Or you've given up. Or you just actually don't have God as part of you, or, or in, in that part of your life, you don't let him in. And Father, I just pray that you release faith. Where unbelief exists. Burn it up. And let faith rise up in the name of Jesus. Faith to believe that if it's not today, it might be tomorrow. But his love is constant. Receive faith to believe in the name of Jesus. Supernatural faith. You won't even understand why you have it. You just have it. Because you're one of his children. Thank you, Jesus. So you've got peace. And you've got faith. After the resurrection, there are two more. After the resurrection, Jesus said, wait in Jerusalem for six weeks. He didn't even tell them how long it was going to be, but it was six weeks. After the first week, I would have bailed. But he was saying to them, there is a time and a season, and I want you to wait until you've received power. You've got all the theory, maybe, but you don't have the power. And some of us are powerless, and some of us are impatient. And he just says, be patient, trust me. There might be something. There probably are people here who are impatient for something. And Father, I ask you to release patience to them and obedience. Just trust Jesus day by day. He is faithful. So thank you for your peace that overcomes fear. Thank you for your faith that overcomes unbelief. Thank you for patience that overcomes impatience. And finally, there's the unmet expectations. The disciples actually lived their whole lives thinking that Jesus would come back in their lifetime. There were many things that they had to rejig in their heads and their hearts because it wasn't what they thought. And many of us struggle with unmet expectations, disillusionment. And so, Father, we ask that you release to us an acceptance that you are God and we are not. An acceptance that we do not understand many, many things. And where we don't understand things, then as children with their parents, you just say, trust me. And so I pray for faith to arise that we would trust you with those areas where our expectations are not being met. But your promise is that you're with us irrespective. That's why Paul wrote in the early end Colossians, I pray that you'll be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience. So the great, great big God is for you, not against you. And Father, we pray this week we would live from today, live from a place of your strength, your presence, your favor around us your power within us, and that we would walk with you into this week unafraid and actually more excited and anticipating things than afraid. Put your hands on the people around you actually, and just pray blessing onto them as the worship team come up and we're going to lead the final song. But just ask God to pour out your blessing. Pour out your blessing. Don't talk to them. Just ask for blessing to be poured out. And you might be saying, I don't even believe in Jesus. Well, that's all right. Jesus can use you anyway because he's bigger. So I just speak blessing in your name, Jesus. Blessing, blessing, blessing. Fill my brothers and sisters up with your presence, with your love, with your joy. Wherever there's hurt, let your spirit bring peace and life. Faith rise up. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. Don't worry about feelings. God is faithful. It's like a suntan. You just stand out and something happens, irrespective. So bless what he's doing in you and around you. Thank you, Jesus. The way you receive is thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you for what you've put in me right now. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. If you want prayer, if you want to have prayer for healing, if you want to have prayer for just solidifying something or you want a prophetic word, go to the back of this corner where my hand's pointing and there will be people there to pray for you. Um, Push them, stretch them, test them, make them terrified and see Jesus' work anyway. It's cool.